Hello, I'm Sam Clements, and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. This is a podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime and is entirely curated by guests on this podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Joe Barton, screenwriter of such films and TV shows like iBoy, The Ritual, and Giri Hadji, and a whole load more. Joe, thank you for joining us. Hi, Sam. Nice to be here. It's great to have you on. I over, uh, maybe it was like autumn last year, I was hooked on Giri Hadji. And, and yeah, I just wanted to know more more about you. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad you liked it. iBoy, uh, I checked, by the way, is 90 minutes. So it's <laughs> for future guests if they want to put it on. You're a qualified 90 minutes, a certified 90 minutes or less feature film writer. I, I, I am. I don't like to brag, but I am. Yes. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> Whatever. It's a, I mean, it's a small club. It's quite an exclusive club. You know, it's yeah. good, to, good to have you there. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was wondering, as a, as a screenwriter, and this being a podcast about runtimes, my obligatory uh, runtime-related mm-hmm. question would be, do you ever consider a runtime when you're writing a project, when you're coming up with the idea for a, for a new project? I mean, there are two sort of factors in terms of runtime. One is... One is how long will the script have to be? I mean, that's the main one. Mm. It's roughly a page a minute. And so, you, I mean, the, the, the shorter the better, because it's less writing, obviously. If I can do a 90-page script instead of a you know 240-page script or something, then, then, then great, because you get paid the same whatever. You know? <laughs> but no, I mean, usually it's a financial thing as well. It's a budget thing, because it's just cheaper. I mean, I had a... Uh, I've done, you know, I had had films where where we were cutting them down to make the films shorter, but just just because we couldn't afford to film extra scenes or whatever. So usually it's a financial thing. I think all the films I've done have been sort of quite low budget, but I think there's definitely something to be said as well in just in in in, in working out what what length a, a story needs to be. There's nothing more frustrating than a film that could have been that could have been great and that just outstays its welcome. Absolutely. I think it's a good exercise as someone who has no writing experience whatsoever. <laughs> it always feels like a good like writing and maybe editing exercise if mm. you do need to whittle down for a certain reason. Like what elements could you take out and the story still work yeah. to sort of really finesse that? And that, that feels like a bit of an art, actually. Almost all of them. <laughs> Most of them you could take out. There's only one. So there's one scene. For, I did a film called My Days of Mercy and there was one scene which we cut bef- before we filmed it for... for for budget reasons and 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 it hasn't stopped bugging me since <laughs> but and i think it generally would have made the film <laughs> so much better but that's the only time everything else you sort of think yeah that's you don't need it you really don't and when you're doing like a serialized story like giri haji i guess with that you have a, a really big canvas to work with in that you've got a number of long episodes yeah but each episode also has to have I think there's eight episodes of Giri Hadji. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so you've got you know you've got eight hours or ish of sort of TV, but then each episode needs to have a beginning, middle, and end as well. So you need yeah. to do that journey sort of eight times. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Yeah, you're effectively telling an eight-hour story, but yeah, within that, you, you're dividing it up into chapters that have to have their own sort of momentum and you know thrust and all of that stuff. I mean, it feels less when you're doing when you're as BBC and Netflix particularly sort of the streamers you're, it, it feels a little bit more free when you're writing for something like Channel 4 or a show a channel that has advert breaks particularly it feels mm. you have, there's a very sort of particular shape that you have to that you have to sort of put it in uh, but I think these days you're I don't know it, it feels like it's getting a little bit more avant-garde in terms of the, the shape of it but yeah you have to it has to be 
satisfying and it's the same and we talk about films obviously being 90 minutes but there's i mean so many tv shows at the moment are like 10 episodes long you just think this you could have done this in seven (laughs) hours of just sitting there doing nothing just on 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 giri haji because i i mean i had such a blast watching it but i I just love to know sort of where that story came from it feels it was felt really like fresh and and it was so exciting when it was on 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 tv and an iplayer oh thank you yeah the the initial idea came about sort of eight years ago Uh, my girlfriend had just done her first day crime scene management course for yeah UCL yeah she works for the police now she's like a detective sort of and she'd just done her first day and and I was asking about just you know how her first day was like what was it like who were the other students like and she was telling me about the other people on the course who were sort of the majority of them were like her sort of in their mid-twenties sort of recent postgraduates but just at the back by himself was this 40 50 year old Japanese man and he he, he was a detective that had been sent over from Tokyo to learn about police procedures in the Met or whatever and it just that just seemed like a really interesting character it's like a sort of like a reverse lost in translation like what's mm. he doing what's he think of London what's he think of all these young people like where's he where's he eating tonight where's he staying all that stuff and so I just had that character in my head and that sort of percolated for about six seven years until I mean I would pitch it occasionally to people I would go I had like a little list of ideas and I occasionally I would go into meetings and and people were like what are you working on and I would look at my list and I'd be like um <laughs> Japanese man <laughs> Japanese detective comes to London and I never I never got it away and then finally um pitched it to Jane Featherstone as a producer and we she liked it and we you know Got it, mate. That was, that was it. But yeah, oh, fab. And uh, yeah, for listeners who don't know, I think the show is on iPlayer still. Yeah, it's on iPlayer at the moment, and then it's going to be on. It's on Netflix worldwide, Netflix UK. Cool. I think it's a good streamer because you want to. You just want to get into it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there, and it's about this. Uh, yeah, a Tokyo detective who comes to London, search for his missing brother, who's involved with the yakuza and accused of murder. What a great sell yes. there. But you do. I mean, a lot of the show is in Japanese. Was yeah. that weird? Sort of writing words and then hearing them being said in a different language. Yeah. It was weird. And I know this will sound stupid that we, because it took about a year to write all the scripts and, and you generally sort of forgot that it would be in Japanese because I was obviously writing it in English and just put a little in brackets, by the way. This <laughs> <laughs> will be in Japanese. And then as you get on, or in the read or, or on set, you're like, oh yeah, like half of the show's in Japanese. And we, I, and even we thought like, because so much of it's set in the UK, we were like, well, it won't be that much in Japanese because still lots of it was two Japanese characters they might be in the UK, but they're still. I don't hate it when those when shows do that thing where they just you know people start talking English for no reason when yeah. they wouldn't do so. Yeah, it was weird. It's a beautiful language. I enjoyed hearing it. I'd sit on set, always forget my script, so I'd be sitting there, no idea what anyone's talking about. But just uh, nodding, yeah, it's nodding. Yeah, it sounds really great. And they could have been saying anything. I don't still to this day. I mean, well, the actors could have just been improvising wildly. I don't know what they said. <laughs> well, it came it came out well in the end. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah. In your leisure time. Do you you watch a lot of films you watch a lot of tv i do yeah i probably watch more tv than films it's basically i, I just at the moment i'm just watching loads of trash tv and it's every time i go into meetings at the moment people are always like what are you watching and then i have to just say i'm watching love is blind and <laughs> love island cheer <laughs> 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 and stuff <laughs> I think it's good to have some of those though, because yeah. uh, especially if you're watching like a big long, like like serious drama or a really long sitcom that goes on for like 25 episodes. Yeah. Sometimes you just want something that you can dip in and out of, and maybe you know do the washing up halfway through or something. You just break it up exactly. <laughs> My go-to now is on Netflix called Skin Wars, oh, I which heard is that. a body painting competition show. Oh. <laughs> 
hosted by Rebecca Romain, who played Mystique, who had her body painted in <laughs> that course. film, an, an expert, in the excellent film. Yes. I think that's the link. And RuPaul is one of the judges, and they judge people Amazing. on how good the body painting is. And what I've learned is nobody is good at body painting, <laughs> even the world's best body painters. <laughs> even if you've mastered the skill, it's still not that impressive. Uh, but I would recommend that for um, some trash TV. What's it called? It's love called it. Skin Wars. Oh, well, I think love is Skin Love is, love is Skin Wars. Love is Skin Wars. Uh, <laughs> skin Wars, great. I'm 100% going to check it out. <laughs> When it comes to film going and, and, and cinema going, uh, do you do you ever look at the runtime? Is that a factor in your decision making? Yeah, it can be. Often, I have I have children, and often in the back of your head, you're you're, you're thinking, you know, babysitters, or I, or just I, I just will I need to go to the loo? Will I need to go to the loo during this film? Do I need an aisle seat? It is it, not like the first thing I look at. I promise that. But it 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 often it's a nasty surprise. Mm. Is I think if you sit down like. How long is this? <laughs> it's just no. So I, I I bear it in mind for most things. I went to the theatre recently to see Hamilton. For, uh, I don't know if you've heard of it. <laughs> it's a little musical thing. It's right? a little musical thing. I yeah. like I'm, I like to keep up to, up to date up to date with the West End trends. <laughs> I bought tickets and all the women that I bought the tickets from, she, all she would say like, it's very long. It's very long. You have to be careful. Be <laughs> like, careful. Be careful. <laughs> I was really panicked going in. Uh, but yeah, I bear it in mind. I bear it in mind. I think for me, it's one of the things I really like to know. Like, I like to know the writer and the director yeah. and who's in it, but also how long. How so, long is it? I mean, you've, you've, you've started an entire podcast. It's a factor for you, yeah. Uh, I've never said no thank you, and I've never warned yeah. anybody like, oh, my God, it's very long. Yeah. You know, if it's something I enjoy. But, uh, yeah, it's just to like, you know, should I have a large drink with me, a small yes. drink? That's yeah. Should I pace yeah. myself? Yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> And when I gave you a piece of homework for this podcast to choose a film to add to our prestigious festival lineup, how did you how did you approach that challenge? Uh, with gusto <laughs> and enthusiasm. <laughs> the reason I chose the film that we're watching is partly because I've 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 seen it <laughs> so many times now, and I thought I was like, God, what film can I talk about? And I wasn't sure whether to go for like a sort of more eclectic choice. I listened to um, Beth Webb talking about Crank and and Chris Hewitt talking about. Uh, hot rods. Hot rod, that's yeah. it. I was like, oh, those are ex- those are off, uh, left field choices. But uh, in the end, I chose the film that I've seen the most because my my kids, like I told you, my kids, the, my little hipster children <laughs> have watched this Wes Anderson film multiple times. I'm, I'm sure I can find something to say about that. Oh, brilliant. And what film did you choose, Joe? Fantastic Mr. Fox. George Clooney and Meryl Streep lend their voices to this hilarious and heartwarming animated adventure from director Wes Anderson. Mr. and Mrs. Fox, Clooney and Streep, live a happy home life with their eccentric son Ash, Jason Schwartzman, and visiting nephew Christopherson. That is until Mr. Fox slips back into his sneaky old ways and plots the greatest chicken heist of the animal world. Based on the beloved best-selling book by Roald Dahl, not in bold, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Fantastic <laughs> Mr. Fox is family fun at its very finest. Oh, that, that Roald Dahl. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's the film. Basically sums yeah. it up. I guess it's always hard. You must have had this with your work when you have to sort of whittle down, you know, a, a, long, a series long or a feature film's long worth yeah. of story to, to, you know, two sentences in a TV Times. To a little blurb. Yeah. No, it's difficult. And um, But then other people do it sometimes and just get it horribly, horribly wrong. But I think that's succinct. I mean, I, think, I don't know if I would describe it as a heist movie which is what that seemed to be leaning on. But, oh, no, I suppose it is. 
It sort of is, but yeah, I think if you're, a, if you're, a, say, a parent in a supermarket, which I think is where a lot of people buy DVDs these days, yeah, you're yeah. like, what should I buy the kids? Oh, a heist movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, they love the oceans. Yeah. <laughs> the oceans. And George Clooney, of George course. George Clooney, yeah. who loves the heist. Yeah, exactly. It's a great cast, though. Such an amazing cast. So this film was released in 2009, 87 minutes long, fantastic, fantastic runtime, and directed by Wes Anderson. Uh, your kids have amazing taste. Uh, and written by Wes Anderson and Noah Baumbach. Yeah. Uh, based on Roald Dahl, the Charlie and Chocolate Factory oh, guy, yeah, guy. Based on his book, apparently. And a stop motion animated. It's Wes Anderson's first stop motion animated film, but he has gone back to that form uh, with Isle of Dogs more recently. And, and yeah, right, the cast. cast oh my God. Amazing. Clooney and Street must have been in another film. This can't be their only... I've it, Look at us both now. No, don't, no, you're right. I mean, it feels like they should have been, absolutely, because yeah. they're so good together as well. Yeah. I don't know. That's a bit of homework for the 90 Minutes or Less listeners. <laughs> listeners uh, tweet, tweet me your, uh, yeah, what, what did we forget to research? <laughs> but it's, yes, yeah, so you've got Clooney and Meryl Streep, amazing casting. Jason Schwartzman is a bit of a Wes Anderson sort of lucky charm, as is Bill Murray, who plays Mr. Badger in this. Badger. He's so good. He's a fantastic Badger. The role he was born to play. And then I know when Wilson as well pops up in this, it's just yeah. like a bit of a Wes Anderson who's who. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, he likes he likes to reuse cast, doesn't he? And they're great. I heard that they recorded all of all their voices in sort of location appropriate places, like barns and stuff. None of these nice pod, pod suites like we're <laughs> like an actual barn and stuff, which I think adds to the general atmosphere. I, you know, they had them actually digging underground and that sort of thing. So that sort of make yeah. I mean, all the all of the animals are usually talking either in a field or in a in a sort of a some sort of hole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a very underground film. It's a bit it's very whole heavy, absolutely. Yeah. So, did you see this film first uh, back in two thousand nine when it was in cinemas? When did I see it? I think I can't remember actually. I can't remember when I first saw this film. I might have seen it in the cinema. I usually I'm a I'm a Wes Anderson fan. I'm a big Wes Anderson fan, so I usually try and see his films in the cinemas whenever I can. So I imagine I must have done. And sometimes with his work, like I, I love his films, but it often takes me two two watches to properly get into them. For mm. I don't know why. I remember the first time I watched Life for Crassie, I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> and then I watched it again, I was like, this is brilliant. I loved it. And then I sort of had that that experience with with a few of them, and, and, and I always just end up absolutely loving them. So, yeah, I think it must have been a cinema thing, and then probably put it aside, got on with my life. Uh, and then, yeah, I think about two years ago, I think literally, like, I it was my mum bought it in the supermarket to, to show it to my kids when she was looking after them and it was just that sort of miracle thing of when your children will watch something that you don't completely even hate which uh-huh. <laughs> is brilliant and so I was like brilliant uh, and then we, we watched it like 15 times since and I've, I, 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 the shine's come up inside <laughs> me, honest, but it's still an enjoyable watch your kids obviously enjoyed the film because they've watched yeah. it a lot but do you remember what they sort of responded to on, on, on that watch one of them's eight and one of them's two I think mean, the, the, the little one just like the colours I imagine very orange. He's very yeah. orange. There's a, people run around. There's a there's a dog that chases people, and I think he responds to that sort of slapstick humor. The older one, I I think probably much more into sort of the existential um, uh, sort of mid midlife crisis elements of it. The sort of loss of of um, potency of the American male and um, the need for. Uh, Finding our place in, in an increasingly uh, confusing society. I think that's probably what he absolutely, got from it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's writing his review for Sight and Sound right now. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, I think he liked the funny dog as well and the, <laughs> and the, and the fox. <laughs> 
But you're right, I mean, the film does have those themes in it, and that's what, especially, like, if the more I watch this film, not watch it as much as you, but I do pick out more elements, mm. and it's like a very serious family drama. Yeah. There's a midlife crisis story. There's all of the sort of talk of Mrs. Fox's past, which doesn't feel hugely <laughs> like family appropriate, but I think they no. just about get away with it. Actually, gets called the town tart. The town the, tart. The, the, an amazing William Defoe cameo as the rat. And, and everybody sort of in on that story because yeah. that's one of the lines I wrote down is uh, the line after that is she lived and then we I think William Defoe says we all lived <laughs> we all, she lived sure we all did it's great it's brilliant <laughs> yeah no the, 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 uh, the yeah the actual the st- well, I think that's what's so clever about it is the, the, the story they're telling is it, it, it's a grown up tale it, they haven't sort of dumbed down the the themes of the of the film that that he's trying to tell just just because the 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 just because it's animated which I, which is good and why, and why would you but yeah i mean it's essentially a story of a, of a, of of someone having a a complete crisis and an identity crisis and and there's this great sort of theme sort of running through of 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 him trying to come to terms with the fact that he's a wild animal and there's like that's that bit where, they, where he sort of boils it down, where he's like, you know, people people look at me and they expect me to be this sort of fantastic Mister Fox, and <laughs> I'm just a wild animal. And that's kind of it. He's just it's it's about someone trying to find his place in 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 the world. And also, you know, there's there's beagles eating blueberries and all this sort of fun stuff. And mm. so, yeah, it's a serious thing. It's a Roald Dahl story. It's actually quite a very. It's one of his shorter ones, mm. <laughs> uh, and it's being adapted by Wes Anderson. Like, does that gel in your head? I remember when I first heard about it, and everyone's like, it's, it's, it's a strange a strange meeting of 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 styles and stuff and I can't I don't how many films have he done this was like what his fourth or fifth film or something like that yeah so I mean he was he was definitely he was on like he was at quite a high level I think it was after yeah. Royal Tenenbaums and yeah maybe something else this actually feels like the animated Royal Tenenbaums to me well it does a bit yeah it does a little bit I think yeah he was definitely you know at his height well I mean arguably he's still at his height so it felt like a like an interesting mix of I mean you just I mean Wes Anderson feels very American I mean it feels he's very like all these films are about the American psyche they all do feel quite upset. and so to mix that with this sort of I want to say bucolic English story is that right bucolic I don't know English story it's a very English story the sort of English countryside was it's really interesting on paper it, it feels really weird but I think that's kind of its charm I think that's what I think that gives it real real depth and it's really interesting I think that all I think all the animals are American I think yeah I think you're and right, all the farmers are British and you've always like Michael Gambon, yeah, yeah, Helen yeah. McCrory, Michael uh, Gambon. Yeah, uh, the other two farmers don't really say a lot. <laughs> yeah, the other ones and Jarvis Cocker, and obviously the sort of the the village is all very English, sort of British production design around it. But it's he's sort of trans transplanted this very American sensibility in into an English landscape, and I think that sort of adds to the whole story about a, a man or a fox feeling out, you know outside of his time and place and and I so I think it oddly it really helped the actual thing he wanted to tell I don't, I I would be fascinated to know how he came about doing whether it was something he'd always wanted to do or whether it just sort of someone was like hey the rights are available yeah. <laughs> dolls now copyright free Oh I didn't see you sitting in the dark over there Yeah no actually there's a fire I just got the call they said maybe it's arson I got to interview the marshal and see what Kylie is he telling the truth I, I, I don't want to be put in the middle of this. Thanks, Kylie. Why is he wearing that bandit hat? His ears were cold. He's not with us. Go back to bed. If what I think is happening is happening, it better not be. As a writer, have you ever adapted a book into something for the screen? I have, I boy. Uh, uh-huh. well, 
was a book. Still is a book. So I wrote a film called The Ritual a couple of years ago, uh, which was a, which is a, a novel. And I'm adapting a book now. Yeah, it's a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, is it sort of? I mean, how like with this, it feels like there really Wes Anderson is loads of lines from the book actually mm. work in that Wes Anderson style, but everything else is just using as a kicking off point and yeah. he's sort of getting his, you know, is that a similar thing to how you would tackle a book to screen adaptation? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it all depends on 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 the source novel, obviously, and also depends on how popular the source novel is and how, you know, how much demand there'll be. For, but in terms of the lines and the actual dialogue, I, I, I rarely... I really take sort of lines verbatim from it. I usually just read it once, and mm. then and then we'll just and then skim back through for sort of bits that I need. I'll get one of the researchers to make <laughs> <laughs> bullet points. But yeah, I think it's about well, often it's about finding the spirit of the thing and 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 trying to push that into the, into actually you know a very different medium, film and TV is so a completely different medium. Obviously, what's I think interesting about this is that it's it's. He, he's he's taken the skeleton of 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 the thing and just gone absolutely wild with it, which isn't something I've done. I've always just adapted a story. It's just like, how do we make this work? For you know, do we have to add these elements or blah blah blah, whatever? But I think it's a really interesting notion that you could take something and just do something completely unique with it, and it's you know not just an, an adaptation because you could imagine a you know straight to DVD Disney version of Fantastic Mr Fox. But it, what I love about this is it feels like he 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 could have done this exact story not under the framework of this Raoul Dahl Charlie and Chocolate Factory author's story but he, it makes it better somehow which I, which I think is the genius of it yeah even though they're two very distinctive voices mm. them coming together they work quite harmoniously yeah I think because they're both quite heightened but Raoul Dahl in terms of his descriptions and yeah. his fantastic language and just Wes Anderson in his like visual you know that visual style that casting yeah that music yeah. <laughs> the music yeah, yeah I've had the soundtrack in my head all week I, but what's interesting as well about Roald Dahl and Wes Anderson there's a tweeness to both of them but also an incredible darkness as well I mean Roald Dahl particularly it's, I don't know what was going on with that guy but his, uh, his stories are you know, you think of them as children's stories, but they're they're not terrifying, terrifying. BFG, terrifying. He did this story called Anteater, actually, and which about a little American boy who bought an anteater, but because he pronounced uh, he lived with his aunt, and because he pronounced aunt like ant, the anteater ate his aunt, <laughs> and then the anteater hunts him down throughout the house, and finally found finds a little boy cowering behind something. And I for some reason I stuck. I, mean, I read it as a child, but I can still remember the last line: "Is you little squirt, I'm going to eat you for dessert." And I just <laughs> I read it as a child once, and it stayed with me. It's terrifying. But if you watch Wes Anderson films as well, I think there's obviously his visual visual style is so you know precise and inventive and and playful and you know off it's easily sort of lampoonable almost you know with his perfect sort of production design and all that stuff but within that he he deals with very sort of grown up but serious and very dark things often you know murder and suicide and divorce and depression and all these things so i think it's interesting so we have these two writers or a writer and director and and who have very different styles but underlying i think the sort of philosophy behind the things that they do is quite similar I, you know, you're sort of reminded of how dark Roald Dahl can be in, in this yeah. film. Like, uh, you know, because it 
it's very upbeat, it's very cheery, but then occasionally there is someone dies or mm. there's talk of being killed yeah. or uh, when Mr. Fox gets his tail shot off yes. and then Michael Gambon's farmer is, is wearing it around his neck like a trophy. Yeah. And it's it actually gets quite gross towards the end because this tail becomes a sticking point in the plot. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> more and more uh, <laughs> sort of falling yeah. apart and you just see like the fleshy sort of bit in there. <laughs> it's disgusting. But it's a great visual metaphor for the whole thing. It's, it, 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 sort of, this sort of impotence of, of Foxy and he's lost his potency. Yeah. <laughs> big bushy tail and his nemesis is literally wearing it around his neck it's great <laughs> I think and the farmers are I mean they're properly evil they, they're yeah. like we need to kill these animals yeah. uh, and they've got guns and yeah. just talk of the poison and stuff it, it works I think the film sort of lulls you into this universe where you know, it is sort of life or death for yeah. a farmer and a and a and a and an animal like that. But it's uh, yeah, it sort of made me set up in my seat from time to time. Like, yeah. oh god, this is supposed to be a kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I remember the description of the farmers in the book. They're disgusting, disgusting men. Mm. <laughs> Just the, the things they eat and how they're described. There, yeah. Well, I really liked in in the film. They they sort of literally take some of the text from the book in the Boggis Bunsen Bean yes. song, yes. Uh, which is is use. It works really well, actually. The sort of children's choir and that yeah. Alexander desperate music uh, but I, I thought that sequence the musical sequence was just fantastic right. yeah it's a real earworm uh, what sort of caught me off guard maybe was the Jarvis Cocker song <laughs> yes uh, and he, st- he sort of stays as a character throughout mm. PT I believe his character is sort of in the background uh, yeah just a funny song and then and then and then the Michael Campbell character sort of just chastises him for it it's a very full break I love it <laughs> love it the music choice is funny. but that's a very it's always interesting he does have Again, that's his sort of style. You get these sort of American pop songs, yeah. uh, uh, which are great. And then there's that amazing moment when they see the wolf at the end. I don't know what the music over that. I don't know if that's an original Alexander Dublat. I can't pronounce his name. I don't know if that's an original piece, but it's very, yeah. That was very moving. Yeah. About a handsome little fox, let me sing you folks a yarn. Hey, diddle dee, daddle da, daddle do, doodle dum. Was a splendid little fella full of wit and grace and charm. Hey, I'm Kobe. And I'm Helen. And we are from Flix Watcher Podcast, another podcast in the stripped media family. We're a movie podcast that reviews films on Netflix. So if you've ever struggled to find a film on Netflix, then we're the podcast just for you. Each episode, we have guests from other podcasts, big and small, who choose the films and we rate them with our unique scoring system. So if you want to listen to Flixwatcher podcast, just type in Flixwatcher, that's F-L-I-X Watcher, into the very app that you're listening to this podcast on. Visit www.stripped.media to find more about our podcast and 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. Do you have a favourite scene or moment in the film? A thing that Wes Anderson does really well, which I always enjoy, is that he has these scenes which are just moments of exploration of of people and places. And there's... So he has, if you think like Life Aquatic, there's that great sh- sort of shot of the whole boat that's sort of cut in half and you explore that and it's like, mm. this is the cinema room, this is blah, blah, blah. And obviously the Royal Tenenbaums, the house is a whole sort of character on it. It's like the Darjeeling Limited does a similar thing with the train, obviously the Grand Budapest Hotel, all these locations which he just sort of enjoys luxuriating in and allowing the characters to breathe in for a minute which is something and even in a bit in a sort of shortish film like this it's great that he finds the time to do it and there's in this one it's uh badger's i don't know what he would call it like his sort of members club or whatever and there's a great scene where just and all it is is 
you know, you've got this rabbits cooking and giving instructions. You've got someone's playing jazz piano in the background. You've got little bits of conversation going on, which pertain to the to where the characters are or the story. There's, you know, the the, the kids are having a, a discussion and deciding to go off. There's Badger and 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 Foxy are talking about his. I think they're talking about his tail at this point. But anyway, but it's great and it and it literally is. I mean, it's not. It does sort of move the plot along, but it also is just it's just time and place. And and I, I, he does it so well in all of his films. It just I, and I love it. And I, I I know think more people should do it more. I always think you don't. There is a sense of you have to you have to have a, a complete purpose for every scene and there has to be a sort of a motor running behind and that, which I agree but also that that sense of being able to just sort of slow down and enjoy the world and the characters for a bit I love well, I think as an audience member it lets you sort of take stock um, yeah. because there's a lot of characters in this film I think you do need to just be reacquainted with some of them even if they're not really doing anything yeah it's like oh where is so and so I read that the Studio Ghibli build those in to the films apparently Miyazaki there's I literally was reading the other day on Twitter or something someone was saying that, that you know there's and there's a word for maybe it's a Japanese word or something there's but there's they'll do a thing where two characters will just sort of look out of a window and, and nothing particularly is going on and it's just yeah it's just a breath in the story which is important for it builds the structure it just allows the audience to you know live in this world with these characters for a bit which I, I love it yeah, that's one of my favourite scenes, actually, just being reacquainted with, with everybody there. Yeah. And also you get to see how big the set is. And, yeah. You know, even though this is an animated film on on sort of smaller scale, the sets are huge yeah. and so spectacular. Yeah, incredible. They're incredible. So they're, they're all animals, but they all wear clothes. Yes. And I love the detail, like right down to like the way their fur moves. It feels sort of like an old kids' TV show. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the, the detail on the like the costuming and this thing is, is, is insane. Mr. Fox's suit, particularly good. The pajamas mm. uh, that they wear. Uh, I think at the time, because I, I worked for a cinema company, as a promotional thing, Fox uh, sent out uh, merchandise for this film. And one of them was uh, actual Mr. Fox pajamas, that are just <laughs> like they are in the film, oh. but human-sized. Oh, incredible. <laughs> uh, I, I wish I still had those. <laughs> and I really love a lot of the background characters. The characters that don't really move the story along, but they add colour, like the moving squirrels when the foxes move into their new house. And they're just yeah. like, it's just a colourful sort of set of non, there's dialogue-free characters. Yeah. Uh, sort of, and it's the way they move, it's really wonderful. And that's another thing he does, yeah. Sort of the choreography of scenes, of these long takes or long scenes, and it's just little pieces being put together it makes sense i mean because you know the production design all of that it's so it's so sort of immaculate and often you're seeing those worlds almost being put together i mean there's the sort of like in uh, moonrise kingdom there's ed norton sort of walking through the 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 camp and instructing all the kids mm. you know on their thing and it's just yeah it's just it's world building and it's it's yeah i love it and I, I really like the uh, there's the flourish with the eyes on some of the characters where it goes from pupils uh, to yes yeah. <laughs> like a mad spiral the little spiral thing and I never quite <laughs> worked out what that was for I'm with the uh, oh god what's the character called little the, the his sort of sidekick it's like the the mole who's like the the house the sh- uh, is he shrew, a shrew? yeah like a little shrew. the shrew who's like the the maintenance guy in yeah. the, the the tree they've moved yeah. into <laughs> is he called like Shirley or so I can't remember but yeah and his eyes would occasionally go into spiral. I'm not still quite sure what the, what the purpose of that was, but I love it. And then when the when they eat the blueberries and their eyes go into crosses, and when the mouse dies, not the mouse, the rat, mm. the rat's incredible. I mean, that's one of my actually, I think that's up there with my favourite scenes, not just in this film, but in any film ever. When he his death scene, and they, and they feed him the mud and tell him it's <laughs> <just> like melted gold. <laughs> I love it. 
and that's Willem Dafoe, isn't it? Yeah, Willem the, uh, Dafoe. The, and he's, the role uh, of a lifetime. The security guard, single rat, <laughs> who is sort of, I guess, sort of rat-sized compared to the other animals as well. So he's not the most intimidating, Yeah, uh, but he's got a small knife. He's got a little flick knife. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that feels very Wes Anderson-y, that yeah. sort of flourish yeah. uh, of, of that. But um, I think it's one of Willem Dafoe's best roles as well. And he's an actor I love. Yeah. But he's so good as well, a rat. Well, he's brilliant. Actually, I never think of him as... When you think of the sort of Wes Anderson actors, yeah, you think of you so Owen Wilson and Jason Schwartz. But actually, he's been in, he was in Life Aquatic, he was in yeah, Grand Budapest, Budapest yeah. and stuff. Yeah, he, he keeps coming back as well. He's brilliant. It's And he's, you forget what a, what a funny actor he can be. Because, you know, I, yeah. I, but that, that rat, <laughs> that's, a, that's a bloody good rat. <laughs> a lot of the film is set underground, but towards the end of the film, there is this huge sort of yeah. chase through a sort of an English town. I think it's modelled on Bath. Um, oh, so they've recreated actual storefronts oh, uh, from nice. Bath. And yeah, the Little Theatre Cinema is is there somewhere, yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. which is quite fun. And I, um, it's got my favourite visual gag in the film is they all, they're, they're trapped in the sewer for a long time. And then they, they eventually get out and they run to a motorbike and they run behind it <laughs> yeah, and then a much the, smaller the motorbike, motorbike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is never explained it doesn't <laughs> need to be but it's such a good gag it's great it's great <laughs> would you have told me if I didn't kill you first never all these wasted years what were you looking for rat he's trying to say something dad slider Here you are, Rat. A beaker of beans' finest secret cider. Like melted gold. He redeemed himself. Redemption? Sure. But in the end, he's just another dead rat in the garbage pail behind a Chinese restaurant. Fantastic Mr. Fox is in our festival. Crazy. Very pleased to have it in. It's the first Wes Anderson film. I don't, I'm not sure how many other under 90 minute films he's done. I don't think any. I looked. I think. This is the only one. I think this is the only one. Oh, Maybe wow. Bottle Rocket, actually, but I think this is the only one. Yeah. Bottle Rocket might be one of those annoying, like, 91 or 92 minute films. Sorry, Wes. <laughs> Should have sped up the credits or something. <laughs> We're going to present this film at the cinema. I think it's going to be a fantastic screening. If you could do anything to sort of, you know, set the tone, maybe sort of set dress the venue, uh, what would you like to bring in to set this film off? The whole thing would be underground, obviously. It was an underground cinema. What are the what are the foods? Cider, chickens, and what's the other one? I think you'd have, yeah, you have to serve sort of all the meals would be free chickens. Yeah, <laughs> free chickens, <laughs> lots of chickens, lots, uh, of, lots cider. of cider, and uh, I would just release animals into the showing uh, sporadically throughout the. I would uh, like a four like one of those four D showings where where they shake your chair. Whenever a, a certain type of animal came on screen, I would release that type of animal. So <laughs> whenever badger comes on, I would. And I would release a, a new badger. So by the end, there would be hundreds of badgers. And not uh, not English badgers either, not the nice ones. I like the American honey badger, which would cause absolute uproar. And I, that's what I would do. Maybe if we have the chickens, maybe we could insist the audience eat them like Mr. Fox does in the film. Yeah. Which is a very vicious fox-like, yeah, exactly. yeah. Uh, fast animated sort of thing. I love that flourish as well. Yeah. Very sophisticated fox wearing a suit. But then when it comes to food, it's just... He rah. can't help it because he's a wild animal and that's he has to go back to his it's all fits all thematic, baby. <laughs> uh, so it sounds like it's going to be delicious and maybe yeah. slightly terrifying yeah. uh, with the animals that 
double release uh, in this family film. And uh, if we could invite one guest to yeah. either introduce the film and maybe do a Q&A afterwards, who would you, who would you like to, uh, to bring along? I mean, from the whole film... I mean, people would feel shortchanged if you didn't bring George Clooney <laughs> or Meryl Streep. But I probably maybe Jarvis Cocker could play his song, and 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 talk about his experiences. But I genuinely would love to hear Wes Anderson talk. He did a talk recently, I think, with Tilda Swinton or something, mm. which got sold out in like two seconds at the BFI. But if that was guide risk coronavirus to go <laughs> sit sit amongst hundreds of people to watch him talk, or just the people in charge of the little costumes, the little wee costumes. Yeah, I think that'd be maybe another, you know, bring, let's bring the sets out, bring the costumes, bring, bring the puppets. The sets out. Well, I would say, yeah, because I, I saw the sets. I saw the sets once and they were just incredibly immaculate and fascinating. So, yeah, I'd, I'd bring the entire cast and crew out. <laughs> so I can't decide on one. They'd all come out. For the most expensive screening at a festival. Yes. We'll, um, we'll bring all of the A-listers over on and, their private jets. The <laughs> but then we'll get them in this underground cave for this screening full yes. of live animals. <laughs> Bill Murray was mauled by a fox, <laughs> unfortunately. I think of all of the cast, maybe he'd be sort of okay with that. I think he'd love I it. I think he loves that sort Go of random kind of mouse shambolic. In his pocket. Yeah. yeah. He'd, love it. <laughs> he'd probably volunteer actually to release to join you in releasing the honey badgers. Yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't even know that we were doing it. He's yeah. just been doing it. <laughs> it's like <laughs> you guys so. are doing this too. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> I just bought four hundred honey badgers with me. <laughs> I mean, this is going to be an incredible screening, and, and I'll be there front row, um, <laughs> trying to stay alive, yeah. <laughs> waiting for Jarvis's cock is set at the end of the film. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Well, thank you so much for contributing Fantastic Mr. Fox and for uh, coming along and talking to us today, Thank Joe. you for having me. If people want to find out more about what you're up to, uh, where, should they, where should they go? Well, I'm on Twitter at Joe Barton underscore or just, uh, just we'll keep putting Netflix on something will pop up there eventually absolutely I mean it sounds like Giri Hadji will be on there soon and also iBoy's on Netflix iBoy is on Netflix The Ritual is on Netflix there's a film I wrote called My Days of Mercy which is on Netflix I wrote an episode of Troy Fall of the City <laughs> which is on Netflix which you can watch if you want you're there's lots of guy. stuff I thought I it's all Netflix. Do they give you a free Netflix account? No, I have to pay for it. Oh, what? You're, you're powering the machine. <laughs> you know what? I went into Netflix headquarters and they've got these little stickers of all their shows that you can pick up and not not one for one of mine. No oh, wow. stickers. That's all I'm after. That's Next Netflix. time you have a meeting with them, guys, stickers. Agenda point number one. I, well, I am literally going there after this. <laughs> I want and the I'm merch. Like, Where's the merch? Kiriaji <laughs> <laughs> <Giriagi> hats. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Joe. And thank you for listening. Uh, please subscribe to the show on your podcatcher of choice and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, those things are hugely important to independent podcasts like this. Helps other people find us. Uh, we're also available on 90minfilmfest.com. That's 90minfilmfest.com. You can contact us there or on Twitter and Instagram at 90minfilmfest. The show was produced by Louise Owen and me, Sam Clements. The show is edited by Louise Owen with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network. Uh, head over to their website for more fantastic podcasts. This podcast is supported by Andy Snook and the excellent team at the Silk Factory and recorded by the Audio Wizards at Number 8 London, my favourite place for any audio recording and sound mixing work. Please check them out. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network. 